people talk about doomsday or judgment day and they think that there's some kind of a you know general judgment and of course we know the bible speaks about several judgments but here in revelation chapter 20 uh, we're looking at really the two final judgments um, one the judgment on satan and the, the judgment on the unsaved and so revelation chapter 20 in starting in verse 7 and we'll read through the end of the chapter, and then pray and get into the message for um, today. <clears throat> and, uh, um, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in a lake of fire. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we come today before a most uh, solemn and somber and, and uh, frightening passage of scripture concerning the final judgment. And as the world and our society and so many people, millions and billions, go on their merry ways with no regard for what for God and for Christ and for salvation, um, they we realize that their their destiny is going to be this great white throne judgment. Even those around us, our our community, and we just pray, Father, help us as we go through the Word of God today that we might be moved to be more zealous and more desirous to see people coming to know Christ as Savior. Even during these days, Lord, there's some, there are some limits and. And yet, Father, we have many ways of, of communicating with people and of being a testimony. So help us to uh, take full advantage of these opportunities. Speak to our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for many years, for years rather, many have stated that mankind, human, humanity, is either a product or a victim of their environment. Um, I've heard you. You've heard that. I, I'll never forget years working at the grocery store back well, 40 years ago, more than that even. Uh, out in the car one day, having my lunch, had a newspaper, and I don't remember who it was. It was one of the the, the famous serial killers of the late 70s. Might it might have been Gary Gilmore, might have been Ted Bundy, um, you know, one of those guys. And and in in this paper, somebody had put the file. There were 10 factors. Ten environmental 
things that made this guy be a serial killer, all right? And I'm sitting there reading him and thought, yikes, I should be a serial killer because out of the ten things, nine had happened to me in my life, all right? Being in a broken home, just all kinds of things. The only thing that didn't, I had never been molested, but nine out of ten were true, had happened to me. And you, you probably, most of you, I don't have the list, that paper's long gone, but you'd probably be surprised how many of these things are common to everybody. So in the Bible, we, there, we read of at least three perfect environments. And, and this whole lie that's being spread today in education and so on, that people are what they are because of their environment, it's just it's foreign to the Scriptures. Um, and it's a way of denying responsibility and accountability and blaming somebody else for our problems. Of course, it started uh, perfect environment number one, the Garden of Eden. Perfect place. God made, created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden. And how much better? One commandment, one rule. Don't eat the tree. Knowledge of good and evil. All right? Perfect environment. All right? And so... First opportunity came along, they failed. They turned away from God. And when God confronted them, here's where, there's where the buck passing started, right? God said to Adam, what did you do? Oh, the woman you gave me. The woman thou gavest me. She ate of the fruit. Or she, 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 you know, she gave it to me. All right, God says to Eve, what, what did you do? Oh, the devil, you know, the serpent. The devil made me do it, all right, and so on. And so it's always been that way, all right? Um, the promised land. I mean, what better environment? If you go back and read the Old Testament, what God did in preparing that land. In fact, the Bible describes that as they're getting ready to go there. God, through Moses, describes that land of, of all the places on earth, a land that God himself careth for. He provided a perfect opportunity for the people of Israel. All you need to do is obey my, my words. I mean, I, I, again, we don't have time to go back, but, you know, one of the things about that Old Testament situation and what God did in the promised land, it was marvelous that he, the way he provided for them. I mean, I'm just, it's, it's amazing to think of that he thought he took care of everything for the children of Israel. Perfect environment number three, the millennial kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We spent the last couple of Sundays talking about the blessings of that kingdom and what Christ is going to do and what he's going to provide. Well, we're going to see today, right away in our passage, how that's going to turn out. All right. So let's take a look. First of all, the judgment of, on Satan in verses 7 through 10. All right. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, all about the, 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 millennial, the millennial kingdom and the preparations for that and the binding of Satan and the resurrection of the saints, that, the tribulation martyrs, and so on. And so that all takes place. And we've, you know, a thousand years has gone by since last Sunday in our text. And so in verse 7 of Revelation, it says, And when the thousand years are expired, in other words, when they're done, when they're over, Satan shall be loosed. Out of his prison. So the devil is going to be removed from, or, you know, freed from the bottomless pit, the abyss, in the, in the center of the earth. He's going to get out. He's going to be allowed, let out. And it says, shall go out, verse 8, to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, 
In other words, north, south, east, west, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. All right, now, just a couple thoughts there. The Bible says that he's going to go out to deceive the nations, in other words, the peoples of the earth, in the four quarters, north, south, east, west, all every, every direction. He's going to go out there, and notice it says he's going to deceive, to deceive the nations. All right, now before I go back to some Old Testament scripture, notice, if you will, also Gog and Magog. All right, Gog and Magog is an ancient name for Gentile nations, all the way back in Genesis. Um, and the significance of that is Gog represents the ruler or rulers, and Magog is the nations, in other words, those that are under his authority. And Gog and Magog have always represented rulers and nations opposed to God and his people, and very often, probably most always, following demonic worship and rituals and, and practices and so on. Okay? So uh, that's the characteristic of these, of these people. And certainly the devil is the one who's ruling over them, even as he gets out and goes around to deceive them. But who will be deceived? Well, let's go back to the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter number 61. Certainly it won't be the, the Christians, um, for when Jesus comes in the rapture, we will have our glorified bodies. Um, certainly it's not the ones who were saved during the tribulation, because they're, once they're saved, they're not, they will never be unsaved. Um, and so it's not the Old Testament resurrected saints like Daniel and, and them, because they'll be confirmed in eternal righteousness. So who, who will it be? Well, let's take a look at I, the book of Isaiah in chapter 61. Again, these are in the book, the book of Revelation contains some figurative things and symbolic language, but this is literal. These are literal people that will literally be deceived by the literal devil, all right? And in uh, Isaiah chapter 61, talking about the kingdom, this is the millennial kingdom he's talking about, verse 9, and their seed shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. And so the blessing of God is going to come upon the offspring of the people in the kingdom. Now, the only people that, could be, that would be able to have children, have families during the millennium, are those who live through the tribulation and into the millennium. Now, they're saved, all right? Those are saved. And they will be able to have, to have families and have children, and the world will be vastly populated. The book of Isaiah and other places talk about that. And so just like children who are born today, the ones who are born during the millennium are not saved, just like we're not saved by physical birth, just because our parents might be saved doesn't mean we are, and you understand that. And so these, apparently, obviously, these, these ones in the millennium are going to be born with a sin nature, right? In fact, it does talk about Places where there are going to be times when the Lord will have to deal with people during the millennium. So there's going to be a little, there might, you know, to what extent it doesn't say, but it does indicate that there will be those who will need to be punished or dealt with during Lent. It won't be us because we're saved. All right. Also, Isaiah 65, chapter 65. And here's an interesting 
again, concept of what I was just saying about there will be discipline and, and so on and judgment even during the millennium. So any outward rebellion will be put, will be dealt with. Isaiah 65, 20, there shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. So there'll be judgment. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands, they shall not labor in vain nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. So that word... Just the, the word offspring, that's where the rebellion will come, all right? The offspring. Now, Jesus talked about, and again, um, he talked about the children of the kingdom being cast into outer darkness, all right? And so uh, these are the ones. These are the ones who will be able to uh, disobey. Now, um, and so the Bible talks about there will be salvation during the millennium, so uh, sure that some will be saved but apparently the vast majority will not all right let's go back let's see how it's described again or further in the revelation 20 uh, chapter 20 i did have one other scripture let me just look at it while, you, while you're heading back to revelation chapter 20 let me just uh, read for you um, ezekiel chapter 47 and verse 22 all right There's, um, ezekiel 47 and it shall come to pass that ye shall divide it by lot for an inheritance unto you and to the strangers that sojourn among you which shall beget children among you and they shall be unto you as born in the country among the children of Israel. They shall have inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. So this again talking about in the, during the millennial time the, the, the land will be divided. There's a lot of things that will be happening. So again it talks about the children. All right, Revelation 20 back to there. Um, and so... The, the, the devil goes out, verse, he sh- and shall go out, verse 8, to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Right? So the reason that he's doing this is to gather an army to do battle, obviously can, against the Lord. Right? The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So millions, thousands, millions, no doubt, in this army, and verse 9, they, shall, they went up on the breadth of the earth. And so in other words, from all over. Right? They're, all, they're, just, they're just marching. And it says, what do they do? They compassed or they surrounded the camp of the saints about. In other words, the headquarters were of the kingdom and the beloved city, which is Jerusalem. So they're surrounding that area. Again, that, the land of Israel there. One last attempt by the devil to fight against Christ, and fire, notice their annihilation, I mean, that is their death, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them, all right? So they're, they're devoured, they're killed physically, all right? And so that's the end of that, that's the end of that rebellion, and the devil, verse 10, that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, 
All right, a body, a lake, literal fire, literal brimstone, burning sulfur is the idea there, where the beast and the false prophet are, the two men, Antichrist, false prophet, they are, all right, so they, how long have they been there? They've been there a thousand years because they were put in there at the beginning of the millennium, and here it's the end of the millennium, and they're still there, and <clears throat> shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's interesting that when we get to heaven for eternity, time will be no more. But in the lake of fire, time will be forevermore, day and night, forever and ever. All right? Again, that's why we need to be so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us to keep us from this awful judgment and this awful place. All right, so that's the judgment on the devil. Praise the Lord for that. He's done forever, forever. Never again will he ever be able to do anything against God or against the people of God. And so he's, gone, he's done, he's gone, he's judged. He's, he's out of the picture forever. And praise the Lord for that. Well, then, but then there's the judgment on the unsaved. Um, starting in verse 11, we see the judge. Notice this. And I saw, again, John is witnessing, I saw a great white throne which, of course, speaks of judgment. Great is the idea of powerful, and white is the purity and the holiness and the judgment and so on. Great, great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. You see, people today, and you hear it, and I hear it, and we were talking about a little bit in Sunday school class today about you know, people going out, and my brother was telling about being in the diner, and you hear all these filthy mouth people and cursing and all that sort of thing, and, and then they talk really big, and you know, they, they talk, they shake their fist at God, and they mock his word, and, and all that sort of thing. But isn't it interesting when, when they really face God, you know, what their response is? Because they, they, have, no, they have no clue. And to a certain degree, we don't either because we've never seen Jesus in the fullness of his glory. Uh, and it's going to be an incredible thing. But they're going, to, they're going to try to flee, but there's no place. There's no escape. Now, the scripture we read in John 5 this morning tells us, in, in John 5.22, says that the Father hath committed all judgment unto the Son because he is the Son of Man, because he is the perfect man. He came to this earth fully God, fully man, because he carried out the plan of God, because he provided for our salvation, paid the price for our sins, and, and conquered death. Therefore, he is qualified to be this judge because, he, because, of all, because of who he is and because of what he did and what he's gone through. Right? Nothing no place. No place to hide. All right? That's one thing to keep to remember. No place to hide from God. And then we find the judge, the judgment here in verses 12 to 15. And I saw the dead. It says John pictures this. He's picked as, he, as he's given in the vision form this great, great, great final. This is, now this is the final judgment. All right? And I saw the dead, small and great. Stand before God. What about these dead? Well, these would ref we correspond to the rest of the dead. 
as Revelation 20, verse 5, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years are, were finished. This is the first resurrection. So these dead are those who died all through the centuries without Christ. These are the unsaved dead. These are the ones who have already been in what the Bible calls hell, which according to what scripture says, it indicates very strongly that, that is, it's in the center of the earth. And that's many, some of these will have been there thousands and thousands of years by the time we come along to, verse, to Revelation chapter 20 um, and this particular judgment, the dead. Notice, small and great, insignificant, significant. You know, uh, those that are considered not worth much, those who are considered great. In other words, the, the whole realm, the whole scope of people um, upon this earth. Um, <clears throat> and the books were open. The books were open. I, and I see in this verse of scripture right here, there's at least three kinds of books that are going to be opened on that day. And certainly one of the books will be the word of God and the law of God. In fact, Jesus said, and if you want to keep your place in Revelation 20, go back with me to John chapter 12. Here's what Jesus said. I don't know if you got a chance to look over the bulletin and skim on the back page. If you didn't do it yet, wait till you get home. But the, from the pastor's desk, there's a, I think a, a, a note there about Jesus Christ and the importance of the scriptures, how important he considered the word of God. All right, 748, mark it down. This is what's going to be the basis of judgment. And so John 12, verse 47, Jesus said, And if any man hear my words and believe not... I judge him not, that is not at this point, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Now there's a lot of scripture there. 2 Corinthians 5, like verses 14 to the end of the chapter, is really relevant to this. Right now, God is being gracious to the world. As long as people live, there's hope for salvation. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, that to it, Christ was in the, wor uh, in the world... Uh, not, rec or, yeah, not recompensing their trespasses unto them. God was in Christ, there it is, reconciling the world on himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. So right now, God is being gracious to the world, giving them opportunity to be saved. And when they do believe in Jesus Christ, their sins are taken away. And so that's what verse 47 is all about. Jesus came to save, and he's still saving people. But again, even, even now, those who die without him, there's no hope. They're lost. There's no second chance, nothing like that. They're, they go into, to, in, go into hell. But then here's verse 48. Notice this. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And so there's always... A standard. In a court case, there's a standard. There's a written standard that people are judged by. And at the great white throne judgment, it's going to be it's the word of God. That's obviously the basis of God's judgment. So that's one book or set of books. Well, then second it says, and the books are open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. All right, so you've got the book of life, which has the name in it of every saved person. And then you've got 
the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And apparently an indication of Scripture is that God is keeping records also of people's lives and our deeds and our works. Again, he's talking to the unsaved. I shouldn't say ours. But uh, interesting enough that when we're saved, those things are blotted out. Our sins are blotted out. And I believe literally they're blotted out. They're removed from God's record, all right, in heaven. And so um, the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works, all right? Now, <clears throat> so what, is that, what does that mean? Like, what kind of judgment? I mean, does, isn't everybody that's unsaved going to end up in a lake of fire? Yes. But Jesus gave an analogy in the book of Luke that he that knew, knew God's will and did things worthy of judgment will be beaten with many stripes. But those who didn't know the will of the, of the Lord and, and committed things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with fewer stripes. And so the indication is that somehow there's going to be, a de, de, there'll be degrees of punishment. Hell, not, it's not, everyone's not going to receive the same punishment. But again, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be nice. It's going to be awful for everybody there. Bible talks about, you know, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and crying out and, 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 and the torment. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. And people are going to be confronted. That's what God's going to do. Uh, people are going to be confronted with their, with their unlawful deeds, as Jude talks about. Enoch prophesied of that. You know, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment. Upon all that are ungodly among them, and to convict ungodly sinners of their ungodly speech, you know, and so on. God is going to be confronted. The Bible says there's not one sin or transgression that will be overlooked in the day of that great judgment. All right, notice there's no no one is going to be exempt. No one's going to get. No one's going to be lost. You know, as far as the, they're not going to escape. The judgment, the Lord's not going to miss anybody. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which are in it. So no matter where, wherever they ended up, and death and hell delivered up the dead which are in them. Death, death itself, the graves, wherever the bodies are. Hell would be Hades, the temporary, the temporary place of torment. It's all, they're all going to be brought there and gathered before the Lord. And they were judged every man. According to their works. And there it is again. According to their works. And it's not like some people have this idea that if you go to heaven, God's going to take all your good, or go to judgment day, God's going to take all your good works and put them on one side of the scale, and all your bad works and put them on the other side. And whichever, you know, if your good works outweigh your bad, um, then you're going to get in. Well, the, that's just not true. Obviously, we only get to heaven by salvation. But another fallacy of that is people don't understand. Many people today don't understand. There is nobody who ever lived whose good works outweigh their bad. First of all, the Bible says in Romans, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. There's none righteous. No, not one. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Not the worst we do, the best we do in and of ourselves. Proverbs, one of the fascinating scriptures is to me, it says the plowing of the wicked is sin. Plowing of the wicked. In other words, 
Everything the unsaved do is sin. That's what God says, the Bible says. And so um, there's no way anybody's going to be able to say, hey, look, look, Lord, I did all this, right? All right? So death and hell were cast a lake of fire. Verse 14, praise, again, praise the Lord for that. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And so here you have death itself cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. All right? That's eternal death. First death is, well, according to, you know, we have physical death, but then we have eternal death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All right? That's the destiny for all those who are unsaved. All right? And so, therefore, the need, the urgency of getting out, getting the gospel out. And, we're, and again, it's, it's, difficult, it's getting more and more difficult today for, uh, as we live among a, a people who are less and less inclined to listen or have any interest um, in the things of God. And you know, it's so important these days, and, and we've, kind of, we've talked about it here and there, um, but it's so important these days that we need to show people that we care for them. And I want, to, I want you to take this in the right way. You know, not going out and beating people over the head with the Bible, all right? But showing that we care. Um, I heard somebody say one time, it was a testimony time I was in years and years ago, and this person got up and thanked God for the opportunity to witness. They got a chance to tell someone they were going to hell. And I just kind of said, that's not witnessing. It's really not. It's not. That's that's. Tiny, one little tiny bit. You, you understand that. But I really think that we're, we're, I know we're living in a day, even in, this, in our community, your community, wherever you are from, we need to show people that we care for them. You know, we're not just trying to get notches on our gun belt. Hey, there's another one, right? I have another soul, another soul, you know, that I want to the Lord. No, that's, that's just not, that's not it. Show people that we care for them. Um, and some people call it lifestyle evangelism. And, um, you know, so there's a combination. You, you can't just live the life, but you've got to show the gospel. But you can't just give the gospel. You have to live the life. And so there's that compassion. There's that care that we must show people, um, realizing that, that we, where they are, we once were before we were saved. All right, let's take a look at one last passage. I want us to, to be, go back to John chapter 3 and then... We'll close, all right? Um, but it's important for us to realize what is, what is, what is ahead, all right? And uh, <clears throat> I hear people all the time talking about they're going through hell, all right? I'm, live, I'm, I'm experiencing hell on earth, or this is hell, or that's hell, or whatever. It's like, man, you, they have no idea. They have no clue. Um, and people joke about. It. I mean, I've had, I've, you've heard, you've probably heard it too. Well, I'll be so busy. I'll, you know, that's where all my friends are going. We're going to party. Yeah, I'm going to hell. Can't wait. We're a big party. You know, all the things that they say, or if they even most people deny that there is such a thing. But you know, um, let's see what Jesus said. Or he doesn't mention hell as such in this passage, but certainly that's the ultimate that he's talking about here. Our loving Savior. You know. We've, everybody uh, quotes John 3.16 just about people, a lot of people that don't even know the Lord. 
know John 3.16. I've had people tell me, I, I, I know all about it. I know Jesus died on the cross. I know John 3.16, and so on and so forth. And so everybody knows that verse. But a lot of people don't know the context of the verse. The verses that come after. I mean, the ones in front of it, too. But the ones that come after. Listen to what Jesus said. Look there, John 3, starting in verse 16. For God so loved the world. Right? How precious that is. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever. That's an individual word there. Whosoever. Believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Again, Jesus came to save us, and praise the Lord for that, so that we would be delivered from our sins and delivered from wrath and all those things. He came to do that. And then here, look at verse 18. He that believeth on him, that is, who puts their faith and trust in him, depends totally on him, trusts in him, relies on him. That's why the Bible often sometimes says believe on. Okay? It's the idea of reliance on, absolute commitment to, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So those who have not believed, you know, condemned, it's a, can't help but make the analogy, uh, because even today we use the term condemned criminal, all right? And you have death row inmates. Now most people, they, that's as far as they get. They never, but that's a whole other, a whole other, a whole other subject. But Jesus is saying yes that if you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, heavenly Him, then you're you're, you're like you're a death row inmate. Spiritually speaking, you're already condemned. The sentence has already been set, you know, set, just waiting for the execution, just waiting for it to be carried out. And so one of the things, you know, Jesus, he didn't need to, come to condemn the world because the world is already condemned, right? He came to save. But notice this, listen, notice this. I'm gonna, we're, we're wrapping things up here really quick, but I want you to notice how Jesus talks again Verse 18, he that believeth on him, in other words, believeth on him as Savior, trusts in him as a Savior from sin, not condemned, the penalty is removed, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, verse 19. This is the condemnation. Again, isn't it interesting that it has to do, it's always come, it always comes down to mankind's response to Christ and the Word, the Word of God. Can't love Jesus and not love the Bible. This doesn't work that way. Right? If a person hates the Bible, sorry, they hate Jesus, no matter what they, oh, I love him. Yeah, right, no, you don't. I'm not. I'm saying using you generically. All right, but here's notice. Here's the condemnation: that light <clears throat> is come into the world, spiritual light through Christ and His Word. And men, in other words, humanity, loved darkness 
robberies take place at, 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 under, under cover of darkness. Not always, but, but nobody's talking here, obviously, about spiritual darkness and spiritual light. All right? they, their deeds were evil. In other words, this is, this is the response of sinners. This is, what, this is how sinners live, and here's why. For everyone, verse 20, that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. In other words, lest lest his his deeds should be pointed out for what they are, and they should be found fault with by God, by the Word. And again, I I don't think you can ever, when it talks about the light of God or the light of Christ, You can never, ever separate the light of Jesus from the light of the scriptures because the two go together, right? And as I mentioned in my little article, everywhere Jesus went, he preached the word. He taught the scriptures. That was his life. He was totally, totally committed to the scriptures, all right? Obviously. Lest his deeds should be approved. So, so people that don't love, people that are not believers in Jesus and don't want anything to do with him, who are living in darkness, they absolutely reject the light, they reject the truth, they want nothing to do with it. But they are wrought in God. In other words, if we love the Lord Jesus Christ, if we've accepted him and we would desire to live for him, we constantly come to the light. Now here we, we come to the Lord, we come to the book of God. We want to find out. Am I doing the things that God wants me to do? And here's where you find out. So, where are we today? All right. Where are you today? What is your attitude toward the scriptures and toward Christ? I trust that you're going to live for him and please him in every area of your life. And we want to help anybody today. I know that most everyone here has trusted Christ. Maybe everybody has. But if not, you need to realize um, how important it is. And, and I know that it's only the Holy Spirit all right, that can convict hearts of the the awesome truth the dreadful things that we've looked at today even about the lake of fire and that that um, judgment to come and so may the lord help us heavenly father thank you so much for this time in thy word and I, i just pray for the holy spirit to work through his word lord not the not the power of the preacher because there's none but the power of the spirit of god the power of the word and the power of Christ. Again, we thank thee so much today for the Lord Jesus and how he saved us. And Father, the, the real tragic thing is that there's no, there's no need for anyone to perish. For yes, God did love the world. Father, you so loved the world and sent Jesus Christ so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We thank thee for that. And God, I just pray that throughout this country and this world today, that as a result of hearing the word of God, many precious souls will come to trust him as Savior. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, let's take a look at number 251 in our hymn books.
we don't know when that's going to be or how it's going to be. Um, so it could be by death, could be by the rapture. Um, there's even times the scripture says where a person can reject the Lord to the point where God just he might live another 50 years but never get another opportunity. Um, we don't know that. We don't, only God knows that. So we continue to, to, to seek to persuade. But let's say, almost persuaded, hit number 251, you know, for somebody here that, that needs to have the assurance of their salvation, needs to come to Christ, we invite you to let us know so we can help you and show you more from the Word of God. All right? Almost persuaded.